In nature, a wildfire is one of the most devastating natural forces. It burns hot and fast and leaves little behind but ash and char. Or so it seems. Very soon after the fire passes through the forest, life returns. Shrubs and weeds that clog the forest floor have burned away, leaving space for new trees, grasses, and flowers to emerge and flourish. Habitats are created, bringing new insects, birds, reptiles, and mammals. A cancer diagnosis can feel like a wildfire, our bodies becoming this new, fire-clarified landscape. For some, cancer changes utterly everything. For others, cancer brings greater clarity and purpose. And some of us are still searching for what life after a cancer diagnosis will look like. Welcome to The Burn. We are exploring stories of life and transformation following a breast cancer diagnosis. I'm April Stearns, the founder and editor of Wildfire Magazine and the host of this podcast. Right off the bat, I want to give a content warning for this episode. If you are listening with little ears nearby, you should know that we will have some salty language as well as a frank discussion about sex and intimacy in this episode. All right. So on to the episode. I am really excited about this particular story. This comes from our identity and aftermath issue that we just released in the fall. And my guest today is Dana Roski. Dana wrote and workshopped this story last summer in a wildfire fire starters group. And so I'm really excited for us to not only hear this story in Dana's own voice, but also to pull back the curtain on the process of writing it. Dana, in her own words, is a part-time winery wench, single mother to two girls, and an aspiring writer. She was diagnosed at 34 with stage 3 triple positive breast cancer. Dana says she is what her oncologists call a unicorn of unicorns with zebra stripes. What she means is that in 2021, she was diagnosed with not only breast cancer, but also a rare sarcoma called gastrointestinal stromal tumor, G-I-S-T. Hopefully I said all of that right. Add in a divorce from her high school sweetheart, and it led to writing for her sanity and her legacy. Now all Dana wants to do is walk her 11-year-old Siberian Husky, Kira, on the California Central Coast. Those are the beaches that are near her hometown. She wants to dance and sing to Katy Perry in her kitchen with her little girls. And she wants to scribble in her journals. Hey, Dana, welcome to The Burn. Hi, thank you so much. Thank you so much for being here. And hopefully I didn't butcher your um, your dog's name or your diagnosis. <laughs> nope. You, you've heard it enough times from me. You've got it down pat. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Well, you're here to read us a really remarkable story. So I'm going to tell everyone um, what it is and then I'm going to turn it over to you. So your essay is called Remember Who the Fuck You Are. And as I said, this came from our identity and aftermath issue. At the time of recording this, we um, just released it not long ago in December. And after you read, we are going to chat. Those of you listening, stay tuned to the very end for a writing prompt inspired by the episode today. All right, Dana, I'll let you take it away. Our large group heads toward the one-door exit of the cramped bar, creating a bottleneck. I saunter to the left, skirting a table to circumvent the crowd, sensing he is watching the sway of my hips and my snug black pleather pants. As I am about to complete my way around, 
I feel the tender grasp of a strong hand envelop the left side of my waist. Oh God, I haven't been touched like this longer than I care to admit. Tingling sensations light up all the right places in my body. In one smooth and swift maneuver, he guides me behind him and reaches back with his right hand, which is now holding my left hand. He's positioned himself to lead the way. I like where this is going. His hearty fingers are loosely interlaced with mine as we now cross the dimly lit side street. Stepping up to the sidewalk ledge, I tug on his arm. He gives pause and we stop in the shadows of the old brick building. Can I ask you a question? I blurt, not waiting for a response. I know you travel a lot for work. Do you have a wife or a girlfriend or someone back home who thinks you're together? He doesn't move or speak for a moment, simply holding eye contact. I think I caught both of us a bit off guard with my direct question. No, no, nothing like that, but, oh no, what is this hesitation I'm hearing within the lull of his British accent? I do have a three-year-old daughter. I'm divorced now. I was an idiot. I appreciate that he doesn't try to blame her, whoever she is. We continue ambling along the sidewalk, back on the main path with all the other Saturday night bar hoppers. It's just hard, he continues to offer, always traveling for the military and being away from her so much of the time. Oh, that's what it is. Guilt. Maybe remorse. Definitely sadness. I can put the pieces together well enough to understand she is the leading lady in his life, exactly as it should be. Thank you for sharing something so personal, I affirm. That sounds really tough. Same with me. Well, the divorce with kids part. Now my turn to share something personal. I have cancer, and I don't know how long I have to live. I want to embrace joy and spontaneity in my life. People waste so much time doing or not doing things because of arbitrary rules other people made up. That's why I didn't hesitate accepting your invite. I'm done hesitating for the things I want. I would like to think I sounded dispolished, but the buzz from the espresso martini and beer and what I'm pretty sure was his thumb stroking the inside of my hand was fairly distracting. I know I at least got the point across. And he didn't waver or flinch. He kept a gentle pace with me as we walked. His palm didn't loosen or tighten. No sweat. No diverted eye contact. He listened intently. We enter the next bar, a pub-style place named Frog and Peach. It smells like beer and bad decisions from my 20s. Too many tequila body shots leading to vague, physically painful memories curled up on the bathroom tile. Almost as soon as we find two bar stools next to each other, we see his friends heading toward the exit. He looks at me. Well, what do you want to do? Stay here or go with them? And I really don't care at this point. I can enjoy his piercing blue eyes and intentional body contact anywhere. His eye contact lingers for a moment. He holds it for a moment longer, and maybe even a little longer. He begins to lean his face into mine as he gently tilts to the side, instinctively and very much unintentionally. I pull my head back a little too quickly. Is he doing what I think he's doing? Am I really ready for this? The desire in my body tells me once the seal is broken, there is no stopping the flow of what is going to happen next. I can feel myself smiling uncontrollably as I let his lips meet mine. My eyes close, and a familiar warmth fills long, untouched places. The bar goes hazy, then black. I don't notice what music is playing if the bartender tries to take our order, if anyone else I know is in the bar or watching us. I am fully enveloped in whatever he is doing to my tongue, making my ovaries flip and my inner thighs awaken. And then he slowly starts to pull away, but not before he tenderly bites and sucks on my bottom lip. His voice low and deep now. We could stay here, or go there, or go back to the Kenny. Holy shit, 
The dreamboat I just met today is inviting me back to his hotel room. This is my chance to see if he can handle everything I have to offer. Remember what I told you earlier? Well, I only have one nipple and scars from surgery. Is that going to freak you out? His affixed soul gaze does not falter as he leans his face in front of mine, whispers, no, firmly, and does that blissful kissing thing again. Hours later, tousled in bed, I say, well, um, now what can I do for you? To which he breathlessly but enthusiastically rumbles, no, this is so hot. I'll do whatever you want. What do you want? Just tell me and I'll do it. But the problem is, I don't even know. I'm pretty sure he's already done it all. After a mostly sleepless but intensely satisfying night, we are laying on our sides facing each other. He traces his fingers down the pair curves of my waist, hips, and outer thighs, trailing back up to the fresh U-shaped scar that spans the entirety of my pelvis. Slowly, he swirls over her in what feels like curiosity and what I hope is a sense of awe. This is a man who understands pleasure and pain. I think back to the night before, happily recalling how he savored my right reconstructed breast in the same fashion as my natural left breast. Nothing about my new bionic body had deterred his desires. I don't want to leave, but the sun is a cruel reminder our lives are oceans apart. Sitting in the passenger seat of his rental truck, my mind and body are straddling between still less drunk and the beginnings of a hangover. As we pull up to the parking garage with my little blue car taunting me from afar, he glances in my direction. Have a good day at work, he says, softly smiling. I will. Thank you for a fun night. We lean in for one last kiss, this time a single puck. I exit the truck and stumble to my car, taking with me the happiest ruptured heart I've ever felt, relishing the gift of remembering who I am. Unexpected, unique, unforgettable. Hmm. I love that story so much, Dana. Thank you so much. All right. Let's take a quick little break there. We'll let you uh, fan yourself off or whatever you might need to do <laughs> in between. And we'll have a little testimonial. Hi, friends. There is now a wildfire book in the world. It is a big, beautiful compilation of my favorite essays from Wildfire Magazine, spanning all the way back to our first ever issue in 2016, up to the summer of 2022. This book took years to create and is literally the resource I wish I had had when I was diagnosed with breast cancer. This book is called Igniting the Fire Within, and it's made up of 50 essays that really dig into the experience of having breast cancer in our 20s, 30s, and 40s. Every stage of breast cancer is represented from DCIS to stage four, from all sorts of walks of life from all around the world. Our writers go deep and get vulnerable to heal their own experiences and to let others like you know that you're not alone you will find yourself within these pages. Get Igniting the Fire Within, stories of healing, hope, and humor inside today's young breast cancer community on Amazon in paperback and for Kindle now. Curl up with it today. Hi, this is Gretchen. I was diagnosed with breast cancer at the age of 37, and not until about two or three years after my diagnosis, um, during the pandemic, actually, I signed up for a wildfire writing workshop. And it was probably hands down one of the most therapeutic six weeks of my life. I had never had any therapy um, since 
my diagnosis. So going through this workshop was the first time I really was forced to um, head on, face a lot of the issues that I didn't even realize that I hadn't dealt with yet. Um, so in addition to that, though, what was even more impactful about that workshop was the opportunity to listen to everybody else's stories and to see a part of myself in other people's stories. Even though we all came from such different walks of life, we were all had completely different diagnoses. Some people were just diagnosed. Some people were five, 10 years out from the diagnosis, um, even longer. And um, just to have that experience and that intimate conversation uh, during that time um, just made me feel a lot less alone. And um, I don't know, I just highly recommended it and I'm just so grateful for the opportunity to do that. Um, so thank you, April. Author Kim Harms has been watching her husband construct buildings for two decades, but she never imagined there would be a day when a piece of her would have to be physically reconstructed. That after a breast cancer diagnosis at age 40, her chest would literally be taken apart and put back together. It was during the physical process of breast reconstruction that she realized just how much breast cancer affects the non-physical parts of life. Pieces of her marriage, her thought life, her self-esteem and sense of womanhood were all taken apart and reconstructed alongside her body. She chose to use her expertise as a journalist and freelance writer to pen Life Reconstructed, a resource for other women going through the same thing. Combining her experience, input from other survivors and medical professionals, as well as extensive research, Kim weighs the pros and cons of various surgical options and details the physical, psychological, emotional, and relational costs that accompany a breast cancer diagnosis. Written with transparency, compassion, and a bit of humor, Life Reconstructed can be found in bookstores across the US and anywhere you buy books online. Learn more at kimharms.net or find Kim on Instagram at kimharmslifereconstructed. All right, thank you so much for the support and for your book, Kim, and thank you for that testimonial love, Gretchen. All right. Welcome back to The Burn, Dana. I'm so excited to talk to you about your story. Me too. <laughs> so let's dive right in. I want to ask you what it was like writing this story. And the reason, or let me just, I guess, put a finer point on it. What I mean by that is, you know, we often tell our girlfriends, you know, about about experiences like this, you know, um, but it's a totally different thing to write it. It's so much more intimate. So I just want to, I want to dive in and ask you how it was to write this story and kind of get to relive it and and use writing as a little bit of a, of a time travel tool. Yeah. So I think prior to writing this, so much of what I had written had been processing heavy, difficult emotion. And Getting to relive and re-experience this and actually, you know, make it be a time capsule of a joyful, pleasurable moment was enthralling. It was so exciting and so fun to play with it. And mm -hmm. being able to 
rework it gave me the time to also think through how I was feeling and and process along the way. Yeah, absolutely. Was this, um, and maybe this is too personal and you can tell me if it is, but was this um, encounter the first you were having with, you know, with a new person with this post, post-surgery body? This was a lot of firsts. Yes, this was the first person I had any physical contact with uh, after my marriage, um, the first one mm-hmm. after my surgery, um, and the first time I had a one night stand. So it kind of checked multiple boxes. Yeah, and I guess maybe your first time writing writing a sexy story then too. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I love that. So I guess okay. I want to go in a slightly different direction. I know you have two young daughters mm-hmm. and I'm wondering about this process of kind of living in your skin again and experiencing this new body as it relates to you setting examples for for your girls. I know this is something that comes up a lot for me. My daughter is 14 now. And so we're having a lot of discussions about you know, sexuality, body positivity, like all these things. And so I'm just kind of wondering for you where, where all of this is landing in terms of, oh yeah, you know, parenting yourself mm-hmm. again through puberty again, right? And, and doing it out loud in front of your girls. It's really interesting you say that because I do feel like um, I'm kind of, I would say I'm reliving my early 20s. Um, but in, in the woman version of me. So it's really interesting. Um, and feeling at home in my body, I think being comfortable with my physical state shifting consistently throughout my life and noticing it, but not, um, focusing on it in a way that impacts my mental health or how I move through life. And the more I do that, the more liberated and the better I feel and the better I understand myself. So I think when I really zoom out, that's what I want for my daughters. I want them to know themselves. I want them to know that they will change throughout their entire life. And that is how it is supposed to be. And that no matter what the change is, women before them, women with them, and women after them will experience that along the way. And it is a natural, normal, healthy occurrence. And that we get to love our bodies however we want. And what the way I may love my body may be different than the way they do. And there's no wrong way. Mm -hmm. And also the way you love your body today might look really different a year from now or five years ago. Yeah. 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 I don't. Well, I don't even to be perfectly honest, I I didn't love myself. This is me learning to love myself. This is a Mm -hmm. really new experience for me. And I think that's why I feel like I'm kind of going back in time is I'm trying to reconnect with what was going on then and bridge that gap. Yeah. So if you uh, could go back, if you could literally go back in time and give some advice to that, you know, 20-year-old Dana, 21-year-old Dana, what would you tell her about her body now? It's so funny. I I work with 20 young 20 coworkers, so I kind of have an idea just based on my conversations with them. And sometimes I'm like, hmm you know, laugh more, have really good sex, get a financial Mm. advisor. You know, it's actually the things that you don't think that are the things that 
make a difference. It's really not about if I went to the gym or not, or if I was tanning or not. I mean, those self-care matters, but your physical body is so connected to your soul and your spirit. Like hot girl energy, bad bitch energy, that's the thing. Does not matter if you have boobs or not. Like I'm, I'm learning that, you know, I'm seeing that it really doesn't matter. And losing my hair was a big test for me too. And having so much of my spirit connected to that I'm saying, okay, who am I raw underneath it all? And, mm. and that's the woman that's really sexy. Yes. Oh, I love that. Who am I raw? That's gorgeous. I love that. And I love that you're experiencing this side of yourself now. And I know, you know, it's been a long road for you um, coming to this place now. Do you have any advice for people who are trying to discover dating post-diagnosis, post-surgery, maybe in the midst of, you know, continued treatments, all of that good stuff? Like how, how do you find the confidence to let yourself be seen in that and that vulnerability? Okay, so disclaimer, you know this about me. I'm unorthodox in everything I do. <laughs> Maybe it's why it's worked for me or, I, you know, there's something to it. Um, so it's really funny. I've never once in my life been on a dating app, ever. Um, I don't go in search of dates. I let the world bring people to me. But I go where I feel right. And so um, there has been times where you know, I'm curled up in a ball at home, lonely and wondering what's going on in my life. So I just, there is a balance to it. I had to fully embrace that darkness and the unknown and kind of feel like I was plummeting with no, no end, like it was just going to continue. And then at some point, you know, I went to tons of therapy and I have fabulous friends and family that I, um, fostered love with. So I really started focusing on the love and the relationships in my life um, that were working for me, mm. that I knew were healthy. And then that expanded to them helping me see myself in a different way and growing. I think, a, so a big part of it too was I'm not the same person I was and that's okay. So I started my entire life burnt up. You know, I st started a new job. I sold my house. I moved. Um, everything changed. And so I got, when I embraced that, when I surrendered to it and just said, I'm going to have fun. I'm going to explore this. There are going to be days where I cry and there are going to be days where I drink too much wine and I curl up on the bathroom floor and I throw up and I cry. But my best friend and I went to the movies and she was the one that gave me the wine and she's calling me to make sure I'm okay. And tomorrow it's going to be a new day and I'm going to be all right. And I'm going to go to work and I'm going to meet wonderful people. Um, allowing the expansiveness of that experience actually was the catalyst for me finding my people or them finding me really. Um, so the truer I was to myself, the more I found what made me laugh or made me excited or helped me explore and get out of my comfort zone or take the time to tend to myself um, and tend to the relationships that were healthy in my life. That actually was the really roundabout way of me getting to where I am now and being in a now healthy relationship with somebody new. And it's the happiest I've ever been in my life, but I had to get to the saddest I've ever been in my life first. Mm. It's, it's a balance. Mm. Yes, it is. And I'm just, I'm feeling from you the the bravery to just 
you know, know yourself and to accept yourself and how attractive that is. You know, I just, I feel so much warmth coming off of you. And it's just, um, it's like a light that I'm sure is attracting those moths, you know, to you. And it's not anything, um, yeah, it's just a lot of internal work is what I'm hearing. Like, yeah, yeah. And and I think, I mean, you know this from us being friends personally, but when when my marriage ended, that was really, really, really tough for me. I felt incredibly undesirable. I felt like I would never find myself again. I felt like nobody would ever want me. I felt like I was unlovable. I had all of these, these beliefs. Um, so it was really, really tough. And I had to look at that and say, no, I'm not going to let that be the thing. I'm not, this isn't going to be the end of my story. This is not how I'm going to go out. And that was when it really shifted for me. If I don't have much longer, this is not the woman I'm going to be when I leave this town. You know? So Um, that was, I had this conversation with my therapist. I was like, I don't know where I'm finding the will to live right now. And I think it's basically that I'm bald and living in a trailer on my dad's property. And I can't let myself into this way. And she can't like, and she's like, for today, I'm going to take it. That's the thing keeping you going one more day. That's the thing. And so it's, it's kind it's funny because to, to contrast where I am now, I, I had to, to face that and say, okay, but who do I want to be? And that was when I had fun with it. I think just being playful and having fun, you can have a million things going on in your life. We all do. But the moment you can find the playful, the moment you can find the fun, the moment you can connect who you are with what's going on outside, it's just like so liberating. And so even though, yes, I still am living with cancer and yes, I'm still going through treatment and no, I don't know what's going to happen. I am still the happiest I've ever been because I have gotten to see myself in a light I didn't get to before. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. And I can say, you know, from having known you and watching you, um, you know, lead a writing life, I can say how much work you've done through writing it out to get to the place you are. And unfortunately, there's no shortcut. You really have just done the work of of finding yourself and meeting yourself there. And I can remember a lot of writing that you did, you know, in dark days, you know, especially around your divorce and like what, you know, what is my identity now? And to see you now in this, um, this new chapter is really, it's really fun to get to see Dana. So I'm, I'm just really happy for you. Me too. And I love, you know, there's so much that of course I wish were different in my life, but at the same time, I'm so happy with who I am and where I'm at. And I think, you know, I get, I got to meet you. I got to do all of these things I hadn't allowed myself to explore before. And so this was the catalyst Mm -hmm. for quite a bit of it. Do I think that there could have been a different path to getting there? Sure. But it's also kind of what we make it. And, and, and having the opportunity to have this space and have these people come into my life that I never would have met otherwise just enriches so much. And another thing that's kind of funny is, um, not funny, haha, but you know, the irony of life. Um, so it was three years ago that my ex-husband told me he wanted to leave me. It was over Valentine's weekend. It was two years ago, February 21st, that I was diagnosed with the breast cancer. And when I look back and think, 
how much I like when you're speaking to you've seen me long enough to know, but oh my goodness, who I was three years ago and now I felt like my world was crumbling or two years ago when I had to, you know, completely reevaluate everything in my life to keep myself alive to now, I feel like I've, I'm a cat that's lived nine lives. Yeah. Yes, definitely. I mean, I'm just, I'm remembering those first workshops that you came to, you know, and, and telling us that you were, you know, living on your dad's property and everything that you were experiencing with your dad, um, yes. you know, having his own diagnosis as well. Yep. Things with your marriage. I remember your various wigs and things like okay. it's just been a metamorphosis. Um, so yeah, it's been wonderful to watch you through this whole process. You know, I want to ask you the role that writing plays in your life now. And I know you aspire to to write your yeah. stories and get your stories out there. Yeah. Were you a writer before your diagnosis or is this new? Yes and no. Um, you know, in school, I always loved writing. Um, so I I did took multiple creative writing classes and I always really enjoyed it. And I remember being in the fourth grade and reading about Island of the Blue Dolphins and writing this really long piece and my fourth grade teacher saying to me, um, you know, you're always the last person to turn in your paperwork, but it's like a masterpiece when I read it. So I knew, I knew early on, but I let life distract me. Um, and so it would cut, it would ebb and flow and it became more academic. Um, and I studied Spanish and French. So then I, I wrote in that. I think now um, I write for a different purpose. It is much more for me, not for the recipient. And that's been the biggest difference. Um, so when I look at the role it plays, sometimes in those early days with those pieces that I was writing, it was to me taking a really, really, really challenging moment. And if I can turn it into art, it shifts my perspective. So if I'm having a really painful, difficult conversation and I write out the story where I see it as this masterpiece of my own, I no longer feel as bitter and as resentful. And I can also, my other favorite thing, is to look back at my previous writing and go, oh, I forgot that I wrote that. I forgot about that story. I'm so glad I have that to remember. I would have forgotten that. Or, oh my gosh, how much has my writing changed? So it's become my own, like, keepsake time capsule reminder of my growth and who I am because it is so easy to forget. Um, and and mm -hmm. <laughs> chemo brain is real. I do forget things in general anyway. But having those stories to go, oh, I forgot when the girls, when my daughter said that or when I had that moment or I go, that was really funny funny like it was good so it it serves so many different purposes um but I think the reason I look at oh I want to do this more is because the process for me is so incredibly enjoyable being able to sit down and think through these things and write and rewrite it is so incredibly therapeutic and and joyous and um rewarding mm -hmm. yeah absolutely well, and there's this other side of it, too, because you, um, you know, worked this particular story that we heard from you today. You worked it through a group critique um, process mm -hmm. that that I host called Firestarters. And that is another layer of vulnerability, right? Like, yeah, it's one thing for us to write in solitary and maybe put it out in the world. But you're like hidden behind, you know, layers of, of I don't know, screens, paper, et cetera. But when you do it in a workshop setting where 
you're you're sharing your story and saying like this is a work in progress this and we do take it as you know as art and try to like separate the the very personal story from the story that's being presented but it it it's very vulnerable it's really really vulnerable to say i had this thing happen to me or i did this thing and now i want to write about it can you just say a little bit about what that process was like for you oh yeah going through that oh yeah yes so what's really funny is you know some of us knew each other already um, so like we, uh, Kelly, I, I, I knew I could say anything to Kelly. I knew how she'd receive it. I know you well enough. I know he'd receive it. So what was, I had a memory of knowing, I don't know everyone in this group and I don't know how they're going to receive it. One person in particular, I was like, she seems like she could be pretty, pretty buttoned up. I'm going to do it because I've got to do it for me. I don't know how she's, this, this could, it could get awkward. She may not like this. So the best part about it is. After the fact, she was the one that was like, oh my God, this is my physical, speak my life. Like, so that's the fun in it is sometimes, yeah, it's not going to land with everybody. But when it does and or they they give you this feedback that you didn't even know, and they're like, oh, I loved this part and this was juicy and, and switch this around. It becomes, so you just don't know. I think if we go into it with the expectation of, well, this isn't going to land well. I don't know how people are going to receive this. I mean, it's true. Not everyone will receive it well. But it's when you get that group, like the the community of it, and you go, oh, 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 this is even better than I thought. You know, there there is something that just lights it up and it makes it an even better piece than what it could have been had I not had that outside perspective or influence. And sometimes the negative feedback is okay because I didn't write this for everyone. I wrote this for the people that need and want to hear it. Those are the only people I care about. Right. Well, and I remember that day when you first um, shared the first iteration of this story. And you're right. Like everyone in the group was like hooting and hollering and we wanted more. And it was just so rich and juicy. And I think it's so gratifying to get to workshop something and hear the reception when it's when it's really overwhelming, because it also lets you know that we're hungry for more stories like yeah. this, more vulnerability. And we want to cheer each other on. Like not one person isn't thrilled for you to to have yeah. had this experience in this, you know, iteration of your life right now. Like we're all you, you know, and you're all us. And that's the power of storytelling too, is the vicariousness of it. But also I'm sure there are so many people now who've read your story in Wildfire who have felt braver, you know, to, to be in their skin and be in their bodies. And that's really powerful stuff. Thank you for saying that. Thank you. I really hope that's true. One of the mantras I say to myself every day is I'm a storyteller and my story will reach the right people. And that mm -hmm. is the hope. That is the hope because I wrote the story that I needed to hear, that I needed to have read me three years ago, me two years ago, me a year ago. And, and yes. you're right. We are, we are connected in that. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the people who it's not for will find the stories that they need. We we shouldn't be censoring ourselves. You know, we can trust each other to protect, you know, if someone's not ready for that story, then they can protect themselves. You know, we just keep putting it out. Yeah. I think one of the things that I found really interesting that I've discovered as time has gone on is um, specifically in the cancer world and especially with us, AYA, breast cancer, um, survivors, survivors. We're on a spectrum. I remember going into this thinking the Hollywood imagery of like, for me, it was stepmom with um, Julia Roberts and Susan Sarandon. 
And I was like, that's Mm -hmm. not me. Like, I'm not that person. And as I've watched women who become advocates or they become, you know, like you, like leaders um, or, you know, me and my wild woman spirit, like we all, we are all different women before cancer hits us. So we're all different women as we live through it. And there's a beauty in that colorful rainbow spectrum and we can all land on it in different places. And that's a good thing. We need that integration. Yep. There, absolutely. There's no one way to do any of this and there's no right way or wrong way. And the more we write about it and be vulnerable and let people see us in it, then it's giving them that that courage to be themselves too and to be yeah. whatever, like you said, iteration that they're going to be in it. Yeah. And changing. Going back to what you said at the beginning, like it's a yep. changing, moving landscape. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Uh Dana, thank you so much for for all of this. So if people are now very hungry for more of your writing, is there anywhere that they can find you online? Um, so right now I have my personal Instagram, ariella.and.june, and I will be connecting that to a platform I'm, a Instagram I'm building out with my writing. So TBD, because we are ever-changing. <laughs> Excellent. Well, in the meantime, we will be sure to link to your Instagram and um, send some new followers your way. Thank you again for doing this with me. So my writer, my guest today was Dana Roski. Her piece is from the December, January 2023 issue of Wildfire called Identity and Aftermath. And her essay was called Remember Who the Fuck You Are. Which, by the way, we should all just have that written on our mirrors, right? Our bathroom mirrors, like every day. Just remember. Yep. Well, Dana, thank you again. Thanks for being here with me. Thank you, April. So I'm April Sturt, and you've been listening to The Burn. The Burn's a production of Wildfire Magazine, where we share breast cancer stories from young women like you've never read or heard before. We also strive to inspire you to write your story like you've never written it before. Stay to the end for a writing prompt inspired by today's episode. Our producer is Bill Smith of Shoe Production, and our production assistant is Monica Haro. Want more on the life-changing transformation to be had from telling your breast cancer stories? Visit wildfirecommunity.org to find a copy of the issue shared in today's episode, to find our rich 40 plus issues in the wildfire archives, and to take a writing workshop with me. There is no place on the planet like a wildfire writing workshop, and I want you to experience it for yourself. Discover how to write your way back to yourself, write your way to reclaiming your body and your story. And don't forget to subscribe to The Burn and listen to it wherever you go. All right, here is your writing prompt. You're going to set your timer for eight minutes, write without stopping your editing as always. The prompt is, I could never write about blank because blank. I could never write about because. Eight minutes, write without stopping, see what needs to come out and where it will take you. Happy writing. Thanks for listening. Until next time, take good care.